Welcome to Church Talk. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we talk about the month's sermons, world events, and how we make sense of the complexities of life. If you'd like to submit a question or discussion topic, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org, and we'll keep you anonymous unless you say we can include your name. In this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons in Gathering and Shag, Reflections on Justice. (laughs) If you... (laughs) It is a fun, cheeky name, isn't it? On purpose, yeah. (laughs) If you want to hear those sermons in their entirety, you can find them in the same podcast feed where you found this episode, and we'll also recap them here before discussing. Now our special guest has revealed herself in the intro. It's Laurel. <laughs> Welcome I, to the podcast. Am I a special guest on year five? This is the fifth year that we're doing this. I just realized. It is? Is it? Yeah. I thought it was four. No, because we're starting year five. Because this is my fifth year as the minister. Whoa. I know. Okay. That just wild. blew my mind in real time. <laughs> Welcome to the fifth year of this gig Weird. that you've been doing the whole time. Hopefully we've gotten more skillful or not. It's okay. We're all human. I think we've gotten more relaxed. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more, more relaxed with the editing. Um, know, real. It's, we're just keeping it real. Yeah. Um, how was your summer? I can't believe it's over. I'm wearing a sweater, which is wild to me. Um, yeah, summer was summer was good. Summer is always shorter than I think it is, right? And yeah. then suddenly it's not summer anymore and you're supposed to be prepared <laughs> to start a new year. Girl, I don't I don't think I went swimming one time this <gasps> summer. Really? I don't know how this happened. Yeah, I'm that personally like a offended and astounded. Yeah, it's bad. I would, I did go swimming a couple of times, so that was good. I made an okay. effort. Well, that's and I nice took a painting class. So if you, I did a service <laughs> in August. If you care to hear about my uh, ruminations on painting, <laughs> yeah, and that's also in the podcast feed. We had a sweet little service at the end of August um, because throughout the summer we did shared services with other local UU congregations. Um, And so they were called on the road Sundays. And so we would rotate and everyone could sort of go travel to a new congregation. Um, And it meant that the load of planning services for the summer was a lot lighter because each congregation did like, I think maximum two to three um, to cover the whole like 12 weeks or nine weeks, whatever it is. Um, So that was really lovely. I so love that I know. labor sharing. Yeah, because, you know, we're not the only UUs in the whole world, which is great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. So, and That's now, now we here we are in September. Yeah, I saw this. <laughs> um, we have a standing calendar event to record this. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, oh, yeah. that again. Oh, yeah, it's fall time again. And we started. Yeah, yeah, I get to talk to Laurel (laughs) (laughs) on the record for everyone to listen to. Um, Yeah, I talked to Laurel outside of this. (laughs) I I confess, (laughs) I have spoken to Laurel, not recorded. (laughs) You don't have to. I'm sorry to let you all down. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we started as we do with in gathering in gathering Sunday, which is water communion. Um, yeah, which is when we all bring water together and blend it together um, to make our the water that we use for blessings for the year. So like when we do child dedications, um, which we're overdue to do. So I think we're going to try and do those this year. Um, you dip a rose in water and we also do the same thing on membership Sunday to give everyone a blessing. And so that water that we use comes from water communion Sunday, which is this idea that the blessings of this community are something we all create together. Um, and I can proudly say that, um, (laughs) every year past my effort to purify the water communion water has resulted in algae. Um, or maybe that's not even the correct, assessment of why the water turned green um but this year i learned how to distill water <laughs> this is what i did yesterday <laughs> i created this contraption right. on my stove to purify the water by steam where you get a big pot of soup like a not a big pot of soup you don't make it out of soup <laughs> but a big soup pot it was green <laughs> it was pretty soupy yeah you take a really big soup pot and then you put a smaller metal bowl inside of it. And then you put the lid on top of the pot upside down. So it's concave. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Um, And so then the steam goes up and then drips down the inside of the um, lid and then drips into the empty bowl in the middle. This took like hours (laughs) to boil the like two gallons of water. But now I have two cups of perfectly clear purified water. That should not grow algae. <laughs> so okay, but like, my... what if you, what if you purified the blessings out of it? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how it works. No, you didn't. I Just mean, I don't kidding. really think that you guys want pond scum <laughs> on you. So, anyways, I mean, that's true. Things that things that <laughs> ministers do for work purify pond that's water. Very funny. Yeah, it's so also like. That's so very you, you. Like, it is. Certainly, I'm sure this will be covered next month that, like, <laughs> one of the central, like, you, you principles is that, like, the blessings come from every person. Like, yeah. religious leaders right. do not somehow have more access to the divine exactly. or transcendent than anyone else. Exactly. Yep. It's just a social yeah. and, like, professional responsibility role, not right. a. Right. Spiritually, um, there's no, we're not on a pedestal, right? Yeah, yeah, and because we also don't do sacraments, so they're not like with other traditions. There are different ways of getting ordained and like different levels of ordination that allow you to do things like communion and baptism. Um, but because we don't, we're not a sacramental tradition. Um, we don't do that. Um, so ordination really means like. You are qualified and you have been trained and you've been vetted and you should be trustworthy. And the congregation agrees upon those things. Um, And then you're sort of set apart as having a specific role. But it does not mean I can like, I mean, I can purify water now we know, but so could anyone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Remind me what sacramental means for the first time, because I don't know. I feel like that we should actually, I want to look up a real definition because I'm not sure what, let's see, define sacrament. Um, it's in our, like, mission. 
the word, but it's like the quest for truth is our sacrament. Right. Which is sort of a, okay. So a sacrament is, um, according to dictionary on Google dictionary, I don't know if it's dictionary.com, um, in the Christian church, a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace, such as baptism, Eucharist, um, and anointing of the sick. Okay, interesting. So a sacrament is a way that you receive the love of God specifically then, is what that means. I've never actually thought about that because we don't do that. Um, So this then would fall into that same what you were saying about that early Unitarian um, sort of disagreement over the old idea that clergy people were like this specific channel from God that like other people did not have access to divinity. And the transcendentalists were the ones who were like, uh, have you stood on a mountaintop? Like, <laughs> have you looked at the ocean? Because I, like, I'm pretty sure I have an experience of awe. Um, and so, listen, have you ever eaten a jalapeno popper at 3 a.m.? Because <laughs> is that your personal transcendent experience? <laughs> it is someone's. It's not mine, but it's definitely someone's. Such a specific example. <laughs> I did once when I lived in San Francisco. I bought shishito peppers at um, the farmer's market, which are supposed to be like super mild and you like char them on the stove or uh-huh. uh, over flames and then put salt on them. Super mm-hmm. mild, except it's like uh-huh. one in a hundred is like deathly spicy. And I got no. one of the spicy ones and it was so bad that I had dreams that oh, night about my body no. being on fire. <laughs> Oh my god. I think it's the closest I've ever come to like fears of hellfire is like wow. <laughs> accidentally eating an extremely hot wow. pepper. <laughs> Anyways, we've of course got off the rails. <laughs> so, but yes, so we don't do sacraments. This makes sense, right? It makes sense that we don't do sacraments as saying like this particular thing, say like a communion wafer, is imparted with a special kind of grace, i.e. a special kind of sort of divine love that you can't get any other way and only one person can turn it into a sacrament, right? Like we don't we don't yeah. put all those parameters in place. Um, yeah. So we could we could consider what it means for truth to be a sacrament, which is sort of fascinating and bizarre now that we're thinking about it, but you know, we digress. <laughs> yeah. It's like that line is, um, love is the doctrine of this church. Yeah. The quest for truth is that sacrament and yeah. service is its prayer. Yeah. Which is kind of speaking to this, like you use feel complicated about religious language, right? Yeah. So, so it's like, we don't have prayer here. We have service is sort of what that was. Well, saying. which is like, complicated, right? Because like, what is we praying? Do. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we could go down many rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but next like... Sunday, October 1st, um, because people have a really hard time with the UU elevator speech. Like, you invite your friend to come to church because you think maybe they're really lonely and it could be, it could help with their loneliness. And then they ask you what Unitarian Universalism is, and then you make an awkward face and sort of don't say anything. And then you're like, they don't tell you what to believe, and they're nice. Which, like, you could be going to the grocery (laughs) Uh store by that definition, right? Like, And I do. There are a whole host of places that don't tell you what to believe and are nice to you. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to work on, like, 
getting some agility as a congregation with describing what Unitarian Universalism is um, so that we can convey to other people more specifically um, why maybe this congregation could be a, a place that might be fruitful for them. Um, nice. So, yeah, so to be continued. Yeah, presumably that will include some of the new Article 2 language of love yeah. and also interdependence, equity, transformation, Weird. pluralism, generosity, and justice. Just off the top of my head, that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> I think I think this iteration might be more like where did the Unitarians come from and where did the Universalists come from? But then you're right because being a living tradition, right, which is also a very distinctive feature, means that we are constantly changing, right? And Article Two is exactly that. It's an effort to say like the world is shifting. We want to be clear about who we are and what we believe, um, and so we need to be clear in the ways that we describe ourselves, which is exactly you're right. What Article Two is about. Um, so yeah. yes, to be continued. Sweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is sort of random. Okay. Um, <laughs> so is hi, welcome to the podcast. Story. <laughs> um, okay. But literally this is also related to peppers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to see what podcast title you come up with for this episode. They're always really good and I have nothing to do with them. So go Amanda. <laughs> okay. So the, it just wrote like the, um, the relationship between individualism and community oh, yeah. and like the mingling of the, the waters, the waters. and whatever. Yeah. It reminds me of this incredibly corny song from my childhood, um, <laughs> which is My Town is a Salad Bowl by Tom Chapin. What? Um, can you have you ever heard you, of Tom Chapin? No. Will you link this okay. in the show notes? So Absolutely. Other people can, yes. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so like Tom Chapin is like a children's. Like, like musician, kind of, but not quite as young. Like he's not he was targeted more like children, oh, but not like babies. Yeah. Um <laughs> Are you snubbing Rafi? <laughs> no, I loved Rafi when I was a baby. Yeah. Um oh. but anyway, so he like I I saw him perform. I do believe he was the first in-person concert I ever saw. Amazing. As like a middle schooler. Great. Um and I was like this is so childish, but I was having fun. <laughs> anyway, too baby. <babyish. laughs> yeah, he has a song called My Town is a Salad Bowl. I I think there's like a 95% chance that we have sung this in UUCSW in my youth. Really? Because it's so UU. Yes, <gasps> oh I think it's Oh my gosh. Like, I have to ask my mom, but I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive. Um, But basically, it's like, rather than a melt, it's like, we're not a melting pot, we're a salad bowl. So like, the the ingredient that like, the thing that makes you special and unique is still special and unique. And it just like, makes our whole town more like delicious and um, like unique and surprising. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't like it's an anti-assimilationist yeah yeah <laughs> um, great. perspective right. on pluralism. Um, and it does have a little bit of cringy 
I looked at the lyrics and I was like, well, this one didn't age great. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair. A lot of things I mean, don't. it just talks about like, it talks a lot about immigration, which in mostly, in all well-intentioned and right. mostly ways that hold up and in like one or two ways that, that I wouldn't outdated. sing in church. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're pointing to is is important because um, collectivism is not saying that individuals don't exist. Or aren't important. Right. Or aren't important or aren't like collectivism is not the same as like, I don't see color, quote unquote. Right. Like, that's not what we're Mm -hmm. saying. It's about the... um, not that everyone is the same, web of right? But everyone is connected, right? It's about the connectedness, yeah. not the sameness. Um, yeah. And like, as we know, connection is only possible when you show up fully as you are, right? So like, diversity and difference and uniqueness are all bound up in the the reality of collectivism, right? Those aren't diminished. Whereas the way that we're talking about individualism. Um, is not being an individual or being self-aware, but it's saying that, like, essentially, I matter above all else. Like, it's kind of like turning yourself into God a little bit, is, like, you as the individual soul person are the ultimate thing of importance in a way that that denies the ways that we affect each other, which you can see where that suddenly starts getting really dangerous, Right. Um, especially yeah. given that all that we've lived through, like recently with a pandemic, right? This is sort of the like anti-masking, anti-vaxxing. That is individualism, right? That is, you can't imp- it, like encroach on my freedom um, as if like your own risk for illness is not connected to the choices we all make together. Um, so it's yeah. a bit, I so mean, it's this, like cultural yeah. battle of the of the age, right? Is Is this struggle yeah like the way that you put it in the sermon was that um like the cruel individualism yeah. that says freedom when what they really mean is lack of accountability right right because it's um, i get to do what what i want and it doesn't matter yeah. if, it, if it affects you right like the way that we affect each other is completely null and void right which is bonkers right like that doesn't actually make any sense but that's totally one of the the things that's being held up is really important right now in our country um from a from a certain vantage point and then conversely on the other side we have all the people that are like no we do want to like you know taxes are good because roads and public schools and infrastructure and like you know, we do want to wear masks and we do want to get vaccinated and we do care how we affect each other, right? Like, so there's a lot of tension <laughs> between those yeah. ideologies. Yeah. So hopefully it's clear where Unitarian Universalism falls in that. I think it's pretty clear. Right. That was the goal, was to think more, yeah. more in a more forth, forthright way. Um and acknowledge the reality that like that that cruel individualism that does also exist within our denomination, which is part of yeah. what this Article Two stuff is about, and which became really clear to me at General Assembly because 
the things like the so the group of people that was like vehemently against article two was very organized they had matching t-shirts which unfortunately were cute which made me really annoyed (laughs) oh my god insult to injury i know it was like i would wear that shirt if it meant absolutely the opposite of what you say it means um yeah right but it was wild listening to the things that people were saying publicly to our whole denomination on the record um and it was all this sort of you know, don't encroach on my freedom, which really means that my behavior shouldn't be accountable, which was also clear in this was a very small group of people, but they were extremely loud. Um, And like General Assembly has, um, because it was hybrid and because there's a, um, there's an app and an sort of online system when you're attending the conference. So there were these like message boards and sort of chat functions. And some of the people that were opposed to Article 2 were, like, violently cruel and aggressive on these chat pages. Um, Yeah. Which is sort of, like, evidence to the point of why the ideology itself is a problem because of the behaviors that it calls permissible and and says are good. Um, While being sort of cloaked in this, I'm a liberal. Like, I remember one of the guys had a rainbow in the background of his Zoom screen while he was, like, saying things that I'm not even going to repeat. And it just mm-hmm. felt like this, like, wild dissonance between, the like, his narrative about himself and the reality of how he actually treated other people. Um, and so Article 2 is... It's... It, the goal is to be clearer, right? Because if you say that, yeah. there, that there's an ethic of love at the center... Like, your individual vote in the democracy, that doesn't matter more than, like, being cruel towards the people around you. Um, Yeah. So, I digress. But. Well, don't we all? (laughs) Well, you and I do. (laughs) But it was was really illuminating, I will say. The things that were being said by the people who were opposed to Article 2 was astounding, and it felt very Fox Newsy. So. Yeah. But it was only like 5% of people, right? So again. Yeah. The vast majority of us were horrified. And then a couple people felt it was appropriate to say things that were wildly out of covenant. So. It's very, it's kind of. The, the thing about the message boards, like, I remember that my, a company I used to work for had, like, just a, an internal, like, yeah, quote unquote, social media thing, like, yeah. where people could post things. And, like, you can't post anonymously on it. It was right. attached to your name. Right. And this was your business account. Right. On, like, in your workplace. Yeah. And I couldn't believe what people were saying really? and attaching their name to in the workplace. I'm like, yeah, that's why you work here. I mean, I like I understand. Obviously, you should be accountable everywhere, right? So it right. shouldn't make a difference, right? <laughs> but, but, like, but you expect a higher level of accountability in certain contexts, and I think, yeah, like your the material consequences, church, right? Like those, the social consequences in a community should be high, right? For behavior that's actively harmful towards the people around you. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway. So there we go. Um, to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> certainly. Do you want to talk about our other service? Yeah. Which was you and me because everyone else, it seems like everyone else in our yeah. committee had like kids get engaged seemed to be a phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> which is lovely and was like Life a really stuff. sweet, funny thing. Um, so this service, last Sunday service, which was what, the 24th? So, yeah, the 24th of September. Um, so I'll say the 17th, we had a guest um, service leader um, whose name is Matt Meyer, and he is a professional worship leader and musician. Um, and he is, I'm going to get his title wrong, but I think he's like the executive director, something like that, of an organization called Sanctuary Boston, um, which is sort of this like new way of doing a UU congregation that does not require that you be UU, which of course none of us do, but they're trying to be like more explicit about that. Um, and I think mm-hmm. they meet on Wednesdays and it tends to skew much younger. Um, it's sort of a um, more modern way of doing worship that has um, some more modern music. And I think they do like a meal beforehand or afterwards. So it's a really fascinating sort of new way of thinking about worship and doing community. Um, but Suhi came and led service on the 17th, which was really lovely. Um, and then on the 22nd was a service that was you and me, uh, because we were both in SHAG, which is the Sexual Health and Gender Justice Group. Um, and so we had done a service last year about risk tolerance. Um, and so this service was sort of the after the summer of really thinking about like, what is this group for and and where should we sort of align our efforts and focus? Um, we did some re reorienting in August and renaming. Um, and so this service was about sort of introducing that back to the congregation um, and and talking about that process of transformation, um, which was fitting because it was also, oh no, there is a truck and Henry is barking. <laughs> Hopefully it's not picking up on the mic um, because Sunday was the night before you were poor. It is picking up on the mic. Well, Henry does like to make guest appearances in the podcast and my life. Special guest star. <laughs> yeah. This is why he's not invited to church. Even though he was supposed to be a church therapy dog, he's too pumped <laughs> for that experience. Yeah. This so is, we yeah. all have our specializations. Yeah. He goes to youth group. That's his like. Yeah, that's a good. Niche. Henry also attended OWL, which was great. Oh, really? Did yeah. you learn a lot? Um, I think he made everyone more comfortable <laughs> by being ridiculous, too. right? So which, like, speaking of sexual health and gender justice, OWL is Our Whole Lives, mm-hmm. which is our comprehensive um, sex ed curriculum that talks about, you know, gender and sexuality and consent and health and, you know, relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did bring Henry and his presence was requested by the teenagers because he would do like... Oh, he's just a little, little MacGyver of a guy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you awkwardly are talking about, you know, sex and puberty at church, it's helpful to have a dog who's like sort of rolling around on the floor. You just like, you have to have a little comic relief. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So Henry's, that was Henry's role. He didn't really learn anything about 
uh, physical boundaries. (laughs) He's still very touchy. Um, Listen. So, but anyways, our shag service, which was you and me, um, what should we say about it? Well, basically, yeah, I think you recapped it pretty thoroughly. I mean, basically, we talked about what we've been doing and, like, Mm -hmm. the evolution of the group. And then we mentioned a recent, like, Massachusetts-wide win, which is the new sex ed guidelines, which haven't been updated in a very long time. Right. Um, Like, And, yeah, we sent, like, letters of support to that. Yeah. Uh, We sent letters of support for that and everything. Yeah. and I think, yeah, I, I just wanted to ask you, like, how you think the world and especially, like, justice movements and stuff, mm-hmm. like, feel different to you now versus, like, <laughs> the day Roe v. Wade was overturned. That's a good question. Like, do, do things feel different? Like, a lot has happened, but do things, like... Does the tenor of, like, the world feel different to you? I think it does. In those spaces. Um, I have noticed in a lot of sort of facets of justice, um, like, in the last couple years, because if you think in the last couple years, we have, like, the pandemic is one thing. And so all these issues of health inequity have become, like, really wildly apparent, right? Um, You think about the Black Lives Matter movement, which um, became much more in the public eye after George Floyd was killed um, in, I hope I just, there were so many people killed, but I think I got that right. Um, In the spring of 2020, um, in Minneapolis, there was this, like, the uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement becoming much more um, of the general public consciousness. Um, and think about things like, you know, wildfires and weather and like environmental justice has also become mm-hmm. so much more mainstream. Um, yeah, that I feel like in the last few years, and then and then add in Roe v. Wade, right, and all of the like anti queer and anti trans legislation and this like wildly and and cruelly sort of conservative political thing that's happening which also just seems like unreasonable and sort of off the rails um i feel like there's justice work no longer feels like a niche thing that only some people yeah. do to me right it feels like mm-hmm. from my and maybe this is also like how i live my life is that like 10 or 15 years ago, justice work felt um, kind of inaccessible to me um, because mm-hmm. like I I was never trained in how to organize and I like didn't know how to how to find my way into that. Um, whereas I feel like in the last especially five years, I my sort of sense of the world is that um, justice just is just part of everything and how we do and and sort of as a society we've gotten a lot better about talking about it um and there's much more agility with sharing information with social media um and and i think with all of the sort of like canceling people also sort of thing happening there has also been this conversation about um like sincerity and mm-hmm. if 
like like the idea of greenwashing and and sort of mm-hmm. all the other versions of that right where you sort of are like talking the talk but really secretly doing things completely counter to justice work like i feel like the general consciousness about that has increased pretty significantly where like there a couple months ago for example there was this thing where shane this like massive um fashion brand which is wildly unethical um because like if you can buy a shirt for two dollars like you should have a lot of questions unless it's from a thrift store right unless it's used there should be a lot of questions but they did this thing where they like brought in all these tiktok influencers into their into their warehouses and did these like really really edited um sort of like behind the scenes of how ethical they were and none of those Mm -hmm. people were journalists right like they tried to do this PR stunt and a lot of people were sort of like, are you joking? Like, seriously, this is wildly transparent. Whereas I feel like in the past that would have actually been a lot more successful, which to me feels really positive. Um, And I think part of that too is like the younger generation that is sort of coming of age is like kids that grew up with gun drills in school. Like this idea that, that justice and politics are really critical, I think has become way more um, like culturally, I don't know, significant. So it feels to me more like there's this sense that justice work is in everything that you do and there are so many ways in and they all work together. So if you're like really good at, you know one particular form of justice work that does not mean that you are working against the people who are really good at a different kind of justice work um yeah because there i think there used to be more of that sort of like you know if you're working for queer rights but not environmental justice then you're like failing um and i think we have i mean especially like all of these sort of issues that we're dealing with like the pandemic and um environmental issues like Nobody gets an out on those things. Like all of we're starting to. And I think part of that is like white people are affected by those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's richer and richer people. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Powerful people. Yeah. Right. Like you can't get out of that. There's no escaping being human or being on this earth. Um, And so I think the the capacity then to understand systemic injustice Mm -hmm becomes more accessible right because you can see in other ways and so i think there's sort of this collective consciousness rising um but i'm curious what you think if you sort of have a similar assessment yeah i definitely do um i mean i feel like the two issues that have been like they felt like big issues before, but now they feel like mainstream in a just yes. in a really different like yes. they feel more like we're talking about the present instead of we're talking about the future. Right. right. Um yeah, like, you're no longer a person of, with like the tinfoil hat, right? Now it's just like, well, we well, all gotta figure it's this out. It's also out, like right? even even like climate science, right? Like yeah. it feels a lot more like, okay, the crisis is right here and right now. It's not yeah. in five years, it's right. not in three years. It's not abstract like today. Right. Right. And it's and similar stuff with like AI, like people, everyday people are using chat GPT for AI stuff now. So I think those are like 
two things that feel a lot more real and like salient right now. Yeah. Um, in a lot of the conversation. I also think there's a lot more fear that comes with that. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I think I see a different, I don't quite have the words for it yet, but like, yeah, there's fear that feels a little bit different. Um, it feels less easy to, I mean, people will always argue about the facts, but it doesn't seem to me like the argument now is like whether or not right. it's going to be a thing. Like, right. we could have been past that argument a really long time ago. Yeah. We should have been. Right. We would be in a better place now if we had been, but we yeah. weren't. Yeah. But I think at this point, it feels a lot more um, real to more people. Yes. And it's more uh, like top of mind. Easier well, and to yeah. shove to the side. That's It's interesting that you that you bring up the fear piece. Because I think simultaneously to that, there are like various emotional reactions that are happening. Because I think mm-hmm. that they're also like for people who have been sort of sounding the alarms for years, there's also a sense of relief that like, this is not, this is not sort of a thing where some people are aware and everyone else is pretending nothing's happening. Like we've passed the point with a lot of things of like denial, which then though means all the people who are like, those are the, you know, the people in the tinfoil hats who are just like wacky. Um, for people, the sort of late to the game, there, there's like a whole social curve, which I'm forgetting the name, like late adopters maybe is what the term is. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're like, if you've been sticking your head in the sand for the last 30 years, um, yeah, it would be terrifying to have this realization yeah. that those people who were sort of sounding alarms, right, that there are these issues. Um, and I think one of like the the significant ones in terms of that shift of awareness um, is specifically climate change and environmental issues. Um, Yeah, of course that would be terrifying, right? But I think that's also, yeah. What were you going to say? The sky, the sky was red. Yeah. You couldn't go outside. Right. Because the air of the wildfire airs in the East Coast, like, not just the East Coast, but like, that hits you very differently than like a news story about what's going to happen in five years. Right. Like that the aesthetics of it are so close, so much closer to home. Yeah. um, In addition to everything else. And I also agree with you about the authenticity piece. Like one thing in particular that I have seen um, like ESG investing has been like trendy for the past like couple decades. That's, Can you define that for people um, who don't know what that is? Yeah. So it's supposedly like investing that's quote unquote responsible right. and uh, like takes into account um, environmental issues with companies, uh, social issues and governance issues, ESG, emotion, or not emotional. <laughs> Uh, environmental, environmental, social governance. So that yeah. means like, and it does, it's, it means something different to every investment fund, whatever, but it can be generally like looking at issues of like, what is the environmental impact of this company yeah. that I might buy stock in? 
what is the social impact, like human rights violation, you know, how they treat their labor force, everything like that. And then like governance, like do they have like racial and gender diversity on their Mm -hmm. board and stuff like that. Um, And a lot of this has been through the lens of like minimizing risk, like reputational risk, legal risk and stuff like that. Like the idea is, you know, you don't want to invest your money in a company that's going to have a big scandal and then lose a bunch of money. Right. But it's also like the kinder, gentler investing is the idea. So like liberals who are like starting to talk more about like anti-capitalist rhetoric, even yeah. if they're not ready to call it that yet. Right. Um, like criticism, let's say, of the traditional economic structures as they currently exist in the right. United States, especially. Which is just like unchecked endless growth is like the best possible thing. Right. And this is like the way that you're supposed to be like, oh, okay, well, my money is not invested in private prisons. It's invested in these responsible companies. Yeah. Um, because people get squeamish about that. There's also values-based investing. Like if you're... Interesting. Um, like you can... Like, and specifically, like, even, like, religious values. Like, you can say, you know, I'm religiously opposed to firearms and alcohol and tobacco and gambling. Cool. And so you can specifically, like, screen out things that do that. But it's still... So it's it's trying to wed morality and, like, impact in the world yeah. with what you do with your money. Unfortunately... <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> it's quite complicated And it's also a little bit simpler than that, to be honest. Like, it's both more complicated and more simple. Interesting. The simple fact is that staying invested in companies that operate according to the traditional dictums of, like, free market economics, which are profit above all else, can never be in alignment with the long-term well-being and self-interest of the population. It just can't be possible, especially when it comes to climate. Yeah. So like any company that's quote unquote successful enough to go public, you know, like that you can buy is public stock in. questionable? Yes. Is inherently engaging and propping up the mainstream aspects of free market capitalism as currently exists in the United States. Even if there's a black woman CEO, right. they're still sending in the drones. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. anyway. Um, so that fundamental contradiction, like The Economist did an article about it. Like, oh, really? It's it's getting a lot more mainstream, that criticism. Which, that is really encouraging, right? That that's becoming a thing that's, that's much more mainstream and, and in people's general awareness. Yeah, so that, like, corporatized version of, like, quote-unquote responsible behavior, like, responsible business and stuff like that, like, everyone is getting to be on the same page that it's a scam. It's, like, greenwashing for everything on, you know. Yeah. um, It's greedwashing, you could say, (laughs) a a term I just coined. Greed with a D at the end, yes. Yeah, greedwashing. Um, so anyway, I agree. I agree that people are calling out the BS a little bit more and are more willing to be critical about it. 
Yeah. Um, and I think this is also the challenge of um, living in the world as it is while imagining what we want it to be is yeah. that I, I think it's entirely possible that people could listen to what you're saying and like maybe this is, is newer to them and then feel totally distraught. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> that, also, that was way more blunt than I meant to be. But like, this is... No, you're of, right. It's an overwhelming idea, right? And I think that's where we need to remember that moral purity doesn't exist. Um, right. I'm still invested in the stock market, partially. Yeah, right, right. Like, and and for example, like the UUA has all of, like, all of their retirement plans, which is what, like, that's where my money goes. And they're doing their best, right, to work with, yeah. like, the world as it is and the world that as we as we want it to be. And we saw this at, at General Assembly again, where there was a protest from um, the Youth Caucus that wanted to require the UUA to fully divest. And it turned into this really complicated conversation um, because the, the reality of what they were asking would have actually shut down the finances of the UUA and then by proxy all the churches that are invested through the UUA. Yeah. And so it was one of those moments of like, we're we're aiming to get there. And if we just try and do that right now, it will actually have the opposite effect of what you're asking for, which is not to say that we shouldn't still work towards getting there. Um, but the idea that we could, that purity exists, I think is a really complicated trap. Um, totally. So, and like similarly, um, they, we got a request in the last couple of weeks. Um, there's in Westboro, there's this um, electrical electric vehicle event um, and the church got asked to advertise it and put lawn signs out advertising this thing. And I felt really weird about it um, because mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm a person who bought a car in the last couple of years because I needed to and I wanted to buy an electric car. But the technology at the time was still so expensive that that wasn't a realistic option for me, right? So like I bought the car with the highest gas mileage, right? Like I tried to buy, like do the best thing I possibly could. Um, but the idea of electric vehicles is complicated because yes, that is a good thing. And cars exist because there's not public transportation, right? So if we're thinking mm -hmm. about like, what do we want to support and what world do we want to imagine? Um, like, I'm not sure that advertising electric vehicles, there's a lot of moral complexity tied up in that, right? For a congregation mm -hmm. because of the presumptions about wealth, because of the presumptions that you aren't or wouldn't use public transportation because of the way that we're allocating government funding to support sort of people buying electric vehicles versus like high-speed trains, like that's a really complicated conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Which is all to say like, there aren't always simple solutions. Um, yes. And I think holding true to those sort of collective flourishing versus like the best version of individualism right like let's just do individualism right. perfectly like that's not yeah i'm not here for it's that goal right that's a trap it's, a it's trap. totally yeah. a trap right like you just need to be able to function totally individually yourself and like just if you need all the you need all the resources to be able to like 
have your individual bubble and, you know, protect yourself from the world. Like, that's not, that's, that's sort of what these, like, you know, Elon Musk types and, like, Mm-hmm. separateness right separateness is the goal and even like that's starting to shift where even they are starting to have this like wait a second we also have to exist in this world right yes um i feel like that was a soapbox <laughs> no 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 no. it's it's a really that's really, a really important, important like point. this right i would choose messy collectivism over pristine individualism yes for and I, I totally agree with you. And I want to make clear about the ESG stuff. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is harm reduction. Right. right? Yes. And that's yes. still worth doing. Yes. It's just. And we want to imagine. Not to be confused. Not to be confused yes. with, like, this is the solution. And right. it's also speaking to it as, um, like, I individual choice activism has been a little bit debunked. Like behaving inconsistent, like consistently with your values is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And also if we don't collectively change conditions, like no amount of individual moral hygiene can fix any of our huge problems. Right. Right. Like my recycling (laughs) is not. Yeah. And like going next door and like shaming your neighbor for right. not recycling one That's of their cans. That's not going to save the world. <laughs> is not, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I would say it's just, you know, do it as harm reduction. Yeah. <laughs> but don't think that the problem is solved, I guess. Right. And I, I was talking more about like the trend overall of like yeah. how the the business is just like how investing is just trying to rebrand because yeah. it's becoming more obvious that as a whole, it works against the interest of, right. you know, the population, what right. we're invested in. But and- the very exciting and cool news oh. is that there's starting to be a big movement towards solidarity economy investing, cool. which is non-Wall Street investing in stuff that actually is moving us toward a collectively better future, like socially owned housing, community owned and controlled housing co-ops and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Like people like private people, like progressive people with well, with access to wealth are um, stepping in to pool money to like, be the bank, quote unquote, for oh, like cool. co-ops who are like tenant unions trying to buy their yeah. buildings. And so like instead of this like high interest loan with the bank, they have a zero interest loan. Yeah. Um, so they can buy buildings right away as they come on the market really quickly. You know, like stuff like that. That's awesome. Um, so there's starting to be more opportunities like that. Um, that right now are pretty experimental and they're probably not all but stuff same like Ujima project is the same thing yeah, right right um and many are not are not that accessible to like most people yet um but there are some experiments happening in that realm that is building really cool infrastructure for how yeah. we can 
you know, continue to have savings and investing in each other and each other's success without the toxicity of the individualistic way that we're taught. We're taught that being invested in each other, what that means now. Yeah. And I think that um, part of what's important all of the, in all of this is like to circle back to Shag and how we did intentionally, we as a group, This I didn't do this individually, <laughs> just to be clear, we as a group came up with this name. Um, and part of the reason that we named it Shag was because one of our sort of core guiding values is joy. Um, and so this sort of playful silliness and cheekiness mm-hmm. is itself like that is a specific justice making choice. Um, and I think too, like when we, we talked on Sunday, we had people share about um, like things that they've done to foster more justice work in their own lives. And I talked about how, I mean, my job is obviously like very <laughs> about community. Um mm-hmm. And so then for me to be able to support my ability as a person and as a minister to be supportive towards community is that like, you know, circling back to my pink mohair sweater is like, I do all of these creative things. Like outside of work, Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time creating. Um, And that's because this like creativity fosters the sense of possibility and change and like playful thinking, right? and I think that's really important with with all of this justice work is you can't really do something that you can't even imagine. And so having yep. this sort of cognitive social agility and joyfulness to say like, you know, like, let's imagine. Let's imagine what it could be like. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, that's joy really important. Is- Absolute, like joy's a tactic, rest is a tactic. Totally, totally. Yeah, like I used to think that justice work was honestly kind of scary and intimidating and like depressing because it was like in my mind, it was like you're just going to protest and then you're going to get pepper sprayed. Like that, like I had this really sort of, <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that a lot of people have that way of thinking about justice. And I think as we we're talking in these last few years, there have been this like, oh, there are lots of ways actually to be wily and to be creative and to be caring and to do it in yeah. in concert with other people. Um, and so I think all of that is is key, which I think is also where I, it all feels more joyful and like scheming to me, scheming in this like, yeah, right. We're, we're conspiring for the mutual flourishing of everyone, which feels very yeah, it's cheeky. it's more like tactical strategic yeah right but in a way that's like it's not military but in right? a fun way in a fun way no, in like, like a, a in like a game right 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 like a like, like a, a collaborative board can, game right like how can we build this world together i like yeah. that question i yeah i felt that too honestly i have yeah. also seen a lot more mainstream emphasis on like something that you've been the drum you've been beating for a long time about um like combating despair. Um, yeah. Despair isn't cool anymore. It's not. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think people are more, 
have the vocabulary and confidence to ask for connection more. Yeah. And to seek it out instead yeah. of expecting that they should just, it'll just be there or whatever. Or that or they should go it alone, right? Like, I think yeah. people are, I hope um, that there's more capacity to imagine mm-hmm. that connection might be possible. And I think part of that, too, is that, like, the pandemic made social ties really obvious, because so many yeah. of them were cut, and then we had to find really weird ways to like <laughs> it, it forced a sort of right. It forced an agility. Like remember seeing those like videos of people setting up like clear plastic sheets with like arms mm-hmm. in them for like hugging each other like through yeah. right. Like no one would have done that before. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of genius, right? And so I think there there has been this sort of. Um, increase in agility and skill and imagination and creativity in the last few years that I think is really hope-inducing. Um, yeah. So. I agree. Onwards. Well, I was going to talk about how we define justice and welfareist consequentialism versus deontological <laughs> justice. Oh my God. Of course you were. But I like what... <laughs> I like what we talked about better. Yeah, I feel like we got we got somewhere, right? Good timing. We did it. Yeah. 359. It didn't It didn't even have to have grad school words in it. I know, weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in my it's interesting cuz I'm TAing for right. two sections of an econ class, econ for social policy, which was oh. a class I took in my in my grad school days and now I'm TAing it for the second time. Oh yeah. I knew all um, kinds of words in grad school that I don't remember. (laughs) Oh no. I'm, I'm learning them anew as I go to the lectures as the TA. Um, (laughs) I actually had this conversation with a friend. He like went home and his parents like gave him all his, you know, essays from high school. And we had this conversation about like, yeah, when we were 16, we were like so good at calculus. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but that's, I mean, your brain is supposed to right. adjust it to just its is circumstances. Funny, right? Like all these, all these fancy terms yeah. we learn. But then like it lives in you somewhere, right? Like learning is a, yeah. is a muscle. So yeah. On that note, I used to be good at calculus. <laughs> <laughs> and you could be again if you wanted to. I could be if I to. so chose. That's not my goal right mm-hmm. now, but I could if I wanted to. Yeah. That's not like your ministry right now. I no. feel that. Yeah. Um, anyway, Until the moral next time. of the story is that the field of economics focuses only on utilitarian outcomes, meaning like the consequences rather than the process of how you do justice work. Oh. And so, yeah, that's a, a um, we could do a whole, or how you do anything on that. Yeah. So that's one of its, um, weaknesses, but. We don't have to go into that today. That's your factoid for today. (laughs) Yeah, my little factoid. I learned how to distill water. (laughs) And and you have many complex terms to uh, impart upon us. And frankly, they are necessary because you can say them in plain English. But. Which I support. It's kind of fun. It's just kind of fun. It's like learning sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Should we go <laughs> next time? Be joyful and creative. Yeah. <laughs> Keep knitting or doing whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 <laughs>